Okay. Well, at this time, I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 2. We're going to have this scripture on the screen. I'm going to read the scripture that's printed, and then we're going to talk about it here for a few minutes. Would you hear now these words as I read from the book that we love? And Joshua, son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute, whose name was Rahab, and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you, you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and will give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death, if you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then, if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on your head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you made us swear." And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned 
and the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father God, we come to this time and uh, we sit under these words. And Lord, I recognize that as we do, that uh, in our homes, uh, in in places uh, around this region, and perhaps even around uh, other parts of our world, Lord, we, we gather coming from all kinds of different places. Lord, some of us are here and uh, we are joyful, we are celebratory, we are uh, in a place of thankfulness. Others of us are here and we feel all kinds of different emotions. Uh, Some of us are weighed down, some of us feel guilty, some of us feel ashamed, some of us feel anxious, some of us feel angry. Lord, I recognize further that some of us come here and we hear these words and we desperately long to know you better uh, through them. Others of us hear these words, and these are very strange words. We're not sure what impact uh, they might make uh, on the places in our lives that need the most attention. And so, Lord, I pray that whatever place we find ourselves in today, whether we are here uh, in a state of joy or a state of sadness, whether we are here uh, with much faith in you or dealing with all kinds of doubts about you, I pray that you would give us grace to see that in the way that matters the most, that we all come to you ultimately the same. We all come here with an overwhelming and an unrelenting need to hear from you, to know you, to be changed by you. Open our eyes, I pray. Give us grace to see how you have addressed uh, this need, these needs, in the person and work of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good to be with you this morning. I have really been enjoying uh, this new sermon series we recently started on the books of Joshua and Judges that we're calling uh, Finding Courage in Times of Crisis. And uh, the book of Joshua, to a significant extent, uh, is built around this word courage. Uh, it, is, it comes up all over the place uh, in chapter 1 uh, as Joshua is exhorted to be strong and courageous. And what we said in our last sermon on Joshua is that courage is a symptom in the book of Joshua and scriptures that courage is a symptom of a certain kind of faith, right? That, that courage is not simply throwing caution into the wind, but it's, it are, it's a set of actions that emit from a real and substantial faith. And in our passage today, I have really enjoyed uh, looking at this and meditating on this and considering this uh, in preparation this week. In our passage today, what uh, the author is doing is he's presenting to us uh, a a person in in really three dimensions here that's absolutely remarkable. This uh, woman, Rahab, was instrumental in uh, receiving spies from Israel as they went to go and survey the land. Uh, And she is, is given really an extraordinary amount of treatment here in our passage, but then also, uh, even in the New Testament, she'll be referenced three times in the New Testament, looking back on these events. And so, the Scripture is making a big deal out about this person, uh, who she was, what she believed, and what she did. And I want to give you a little bit of background on it. So, uh, if, if you're not familiar with, with the stories of the Old Testament, uh, effectively, this is attempt number two 
to go into the land. So Israel had been promised, uh, as they come out of Egypt, they've been told about a promised land flowing with milk and honey, a place that they would absolutely want to spend the rest of their lives that would be uh, a place that is very pleasant, uh, is very fruitful, is very abundant, but they would have to take the land. They would have to claim it from those who were presently living there. And Moses leads Israel out of Egypt with all kinds of miracles, uh, even some that are referenced here in our passage. And uh, as they're about to go into the land, Moses sends 12 spies into the land of Canaan to survey it and to report back to them uh, what's going on. These 12 spies go into the land, and you can read about this, by the way, in Deuteronomy chapter 1. They go back into the land, and they come back and they say, Moses was absolutely right. This land is spectacular. They even bring some fruit back from it. But then most of them, not all, but most of them go on and they say, however, the people who are living there are absolutely terrifying. They're big, they're talented, they, uh, they make all kinds of references, uh, some of which are, are hard to understand of descendants of the Nephilim, right? And they say, you know, this is a very, we are really frightened by what we saw and in that moment, uh, the tide turns in the community of Israel, these folks who had seen God part the Red Sea, who they'd seen all these miracles executed upon Egypt, and they effectively uh, lose faith. They have no faith in God at this time. It's absolutely disastrous, and it's in, um, it's in this time that they are now going to be wandering for 40 years and wait for effectively mostly the next generation to have another attempt at the land. So, so because of the spies and what happens during this report, they're now wandering for 40 years, most of them with, with a couple exceptions. And then this is attempt number two, right? So I want you to, I want you to really enter into uh, the characters that are portrayed here in our passage. Imagine yourself as these spies, right? So much is writing on the success of their, of their travels into the promised land, and then when they report back, right? The first time that this happened, it was absolutely disastrous, right? Will the community respond in faith or will the community respond in fear? So that's where we are. And it's at this juncture that we are introduced to a woman by the name of Rahab, this woman Rahab, who will be referenced uh, throughout scripture. And I want to sort of look at her life uh, as it relates to this passage and this story under these three headings. Uh, first of all, the r faith of Rahab. Secondly, the acts of Rahab. And then thirdly, the meaning of Rahab. So let's look at it together. Number one, the faith of Rahab. Uh, as, as our representatives, our spies come into this land, they actually find their, their way to Rahab's house uh, and they stay there. And what's interesting about it is that, um, you know, there's a, a profound amount of questions that arise from this passage. What were they doing in the house of a prostitute, right? Just by the way, you know, uh, don't try this at home. You know, if you're sent on a mission, I'll be like, yeah, I just, you know, decided to find a brothel to kind of like hang out and not a good idea. Um, your, your session would not appreciate that. Um, so what's going on here? Well, there's a couple things uh, probably that are going on. The first is that uh, brothels, to a certain extent, actually doubled as hotels in the ancient world, right? So it wouldn't have been completely out of the ordinary to stay in one of these places and yet not make full use of uh, what was going on there. Um, so that's not terribly surprising. The second thing is, is that 
Um, you know, it would be it, it would be normal for folks from out of town to do something like this, right? So these folks were trying to blend in. However, having said both of those things, one of the interesting things that rises out of this passage is that you'll notice the authorities immediately know that these men have come, why they've come, and what they were doing, right? That the folks in charge already know that there are men who are staying with this woman, Rahab. They know why they're there. They know what they're up to, and they want to put a stop to it. You know, it's, what's really fascinating to me is we see in this passage an ancient military intelligence system of some sort, right? They had had um, networks in place uh, to alert uh, those in power as to the presence of threats. And keep in mind, too, that this city was one of the most fortified cities in all the ancient world, right, surrounded by walls, right? They put an absolute premium on security. They had a, a really elaborate, apparently, uh, intelligence network. And they know that these folks have come. And, of course, everything is going to depend on uh, how Rahab responds to this situation, Right? You know, I just want you to try to put yourself in her place, right? She is being summoned before the highest leaders of her in, in her community, right, who put an absolute premium on security, and she is being demanded to comply with what they are asking of her, right, to provide absolutely essential information as to the whereabouts of these men. And it's at this moment that she has to make a choice, Right? Is, she going to, is she going to be more afraid of what the intelligence service is going to do to her right? if they catch her not being uh, upfront with them? Or is she going to live and act out of the, in faith out of Israel's God? And it's interesting, uh, if you look in verse 10, uh, of course she does conceal uh, these, these spies, she does hide them. Uh, and, and the reason why is referenced in verse 10. Let me read it uh, to you. This is Rahab sharing with uh, these spies. She said, we heard, we heard how the Lord dried up the water at the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. Now, just when you think about that, keep a couple things in mind. Number one, these events took place more than 40 years prior. Right? So these events took place more than 40 years prior, and, and this woman, she's saying, look, we grew up hearing stories of what your God did. Right? Part of the, the neighborhood gossip was, did you know what just happened over in Egypt? Right? The most advanced military of its day was absolutely humiliated, absolutely defeated by this God called Yahweh. Right? And she'll use actually the covenant name in her remarks. And this is what she goes on to say. She says, and as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. And then here's the key part. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. And so what Rahab is doing is she's making a confession of faith. She's confessing. She's saying, you know, there's all these gods that are around here, and you know, it's interesting in reading about the ancient world and how it functioned. You know, so much of the ancient world revolved around deities and which one you would want to please and this kind of thing. Um, a very significant part of daily life. But she says, you know, from the stories I heard, there is no doubt in my mind that Yahweh is God. 
that he is the one that controls the heavens and the earth. And so when she's confronted with this choice, what am I going to do? Am I going to be afraid? I, I, I mean, just, you know, as we watch movies and we read uh, biographies and stories of history, right? You know, if you're confronted with the, the chief of intelligence of any country, right? That, you know, that, that is an absolutely terrifying place to be. That is an absolutely terrifying situation to be in. And she's confronted with this reality. Am I going to crumble before the chief of intelligence or am I going to entrust my future to Yahweh? And she is so persuaded by the power of God that, the, that her faith in God informs her choices, right? And that gets us into the acts of Rahab, right? Her faith informs her actions. And it's interesting, you know, Rahab is brought up, like I said, three times in the New Testament. Uh, the most powerful time, I think, is, is in James chapter 2. Uh, as James is dealing with this question, what does it mean if you have faith, but you don't really have actions that uh, flow out of your faith? And he, you know, coins this, this famous uh, phrase that faith without works is dead. And his example for teaching, right, of all of the Scripture, right, one of the examples, he, he uses a couple, right, but one of the examples he'll use, he uses Abraham, you know, this pillar of Israel, everyone loves Abraham, but then he goes to Rahab. He goes to this woman. He goes to her time, her circumstances, and he says, she is what it looks like to have faith in God. You can read about it in James chapter 2, verse 25. It says, and in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. And of course, she becomes really the, the symbol of faith uh, in reflection on the Old Testament. And it raises all kinds of questions, right? One of the, um, one of the, the questions that it raises in my mind is, well, what about her profession? What about her lifestyle? You know, where does that come into play? And it's interesting because you know, this word prostitute, it, in two of the three uh, instances in the New Testament, Rahab's always identified as Rahab the prostitute, right? Uh, there's, there's one instance in where she's not, but the other two instances in Hebrews 11 and James 2, in reflection on her faith, it's consider what Rahab, comma, the prostitute did. It, he wants to make sure that you're aware of who we're talking about, and he identifies her in this way. And I want you to understand that uh, for a Jewish audience, especially j just like in our day, you know, this is not, um, this is not, this is, would not be a badge of honor, right? You know, those stickers that people put on their kid, their vans, like, you know, th this van is carrying an honor roll student, you know, they wear it with a big badge of honor. You know, just so you know, like, you, you don't really see people put stickers on their cars, you know, like, my daughter grew up to be a prostitute, right? That's not, get, you know, those, those stickers are not selling very uh, well on Cafe Press right now, right? You know, this is not something that would have been worn as a badge of honor. It would have been um, something of, of great shame. In, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is visiting with a Pharisee, uh, and it describes a sinful woman, probably describing a prostitute, comes in and is worshiping him. And of course, everyone is sitting there thinking, you know, my goodness, 
how can he allow this woman in his presence because of who she is, right? And, and that really brings up this, this last point that I want to look at, the meaning of Rahab. We have her faith. We have her actions, right? What does it mean? And why is she given so much treatment here in the Scripture? Uh, and how does it, and why is she always referred to uh, by the title prostitute? Why is that a big deal? Well, I want to try to give you uh, my take on that uh, and, and reflection on these things. I think that uh, my, my sense of it is Rahab is given an extraordinary amount of treatment in the Old Testament, in Joshua, right? I think because she probably became a person of influence in the community, right? She, uh, if you're not aware, she will actually be part of the line of Jesus Christ, right? Um, she will become part of that line, and so David flows through her. She married someone of great influence in Israel. But I think that she became uh, somewhat of a pillar of the community of that time. I think she rose to a position of influence um, re- resultant from her faith, and therefore Joshua spends an entire chapter recounting these events, right? Um, you know, and it's interesting because uh, she is given all this treatment in Joshua, then she's continued to be given treatment in the New Testament. And as I said, she's remembered with this title, you know, Rahab the prostitute. It's important that her title is there. Why is that? What does it mean? Well, friends, I would submit to you that what's going on in that, what's going on in James and in Hebrews, why it, uh, even in Joshua, it's re- you know, referenced here on a couple of occasions. I think that what God is trying to say to us is this, that in the community of Jesus Christ, in his kingdom, in his church, that faith changes everything. The faith has the power to redefine even who you are all the way down to the deepest level, right? And I think that they remembered her title because I think she did become a pillar of Israel, right? That a, a, a foreigner, right, foreigner woman of this kind of profession becomes a, a pillar of Israel, someone influential in the community, not because of where she was born, because she wasn't born in the right place, not because of her lifestyle, because her lifestyle wasn't the right lifestyle, but because of her faith. That faith has the power to redefine who you are, and it did that for her. You know, we come to the New Testament, and Jesus is described as a friend of sinners. Right? He eats with tax collectors. He spends time with prostitutes. He welcomes them into his fold. And, of course, he's criticized greatly for this. Right, but he looks at Simon, uh, this leader in Israel, this religious person who should have been well-schooled in these things, and this, this man is just looking with absolute contempt on our Lord Jesus, absolute disgust, saying, like, you know, I heard all these great things about you, but the fact that you would let this person into your presence, I'm thoroughly disgusted. Right? This, this man, I believe, was disgusted at our Lord Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and he says, just as you're bewildered by me, I'm bewildered by you. I'm bewildered that you could read your Bible and not understand the power of God through faith. I'm bewildered that, 
that you could not understand the fact that this woman is a symbol not of her past, but she is a symbol of the power of God as God is working through her to bring out a kind of love and a kind of worship that you know nothing about. You have no idea the kind of worship that she's experiencing because she's experiencing the worship that can only come from a changed life. And so, friends, uh, the Scripture presents here this heroine that's a little unusual, right? The Scripture wants to present to us this heroine, Rahab, uh, and it presents, us to, presents her to us uh, as she lives in the kind of courage that can only come from faith. And then it will present her, moreover, as an example of the kind of re-identification that can happen through faith. And as we consider her life, as we consider things that she did, I want to ask you just a couple of questions, right? Um, How are you dealing with the kinds of questions that are confronting you right now, right? You know, and I, again, she's here before the intelligence service, before the chief of intelligence. Her, her life hangs in the balance, right? The punishment that would be hers would be absolutely awful, absolutely excruciating. She would have likely been tortured before being put to death, right? And she acts in this, this unwavering faith in Israel's God, Right? And I want to ask you the question, how are you confronting the choices that are before you today? All right, how are you grappling with the questions that you're facing? You know, what, what, what am I going, how am I going to relate to others right now? How am I going to make decisions about how I respond to this quarantine that we're in? How am I going to use my time? I'm going to use my money. How am I going to parent my children? How am I going to find a spouse how am I going to navigate the complexities of the workplace? What am I going to do when I'm put in a difficult conversation and I'm confronted with a question of, will I tell truth that's painful or will I cower in fear? And by the way, you know, Rah- uh, Rahab's often cited as this question like, is it okay to lie because she lied? I'm not going to get into that a great deal uh, except to say that her, her actions are defined here as righteous in um, in the book of James and in Hebrews. Um, And, you know, one person answered it this way that said, uh, you know, they were not entitled to the truth, right? They were not entitled to the truth. And so, um, there's a whole big ethical discussion we could have on that. But I think that the, the point is very simple, right? That the way that she responded was the more difficult choice. It was the choice that required faith, Right? Most of us, when we're put in a situation like that, we take the, or we're tempted at least, to take the easy way out. Uh, she did not take the easy way out, but she took the absolutely costly way out. But her choice was informed by her conviction that God is real, that my future is determined ultimately by Him, and I would rather entrust myself to Him than to put my, hand, my, my life in the hands of these men. Right, so I want to ask you this question. What are you afraid of today? What fears are you letting control you today? How might God be calling you to surrender those fears to Him, to turn to Him in faith in such a way that you find resources to live in this kind of courage? I heard a really helpful quote this week 
uh, went something like this. It said, you know, we substitute what we most want in life for what we most want right now. Do you hear that? We substitute what we most want in life, right? You could, if I were to ask you, you know, what do you most want in life? Most people wouldn't say, you know, yeah, I just want to be like lazy and content right now to, to do nothing, right? Most people would have goals of sorts, right? But we often don't ever follow those things because what we want in life often plays second, often takes a back seat to what we most want right now. You know, and as I tried to put myself in her place in looking at this passage, I thought, you know, if I were her standing in front of this, you know, these military authorities, what I would want most right in that moment is, is to be safe in front of them, right? Well, what I want most is to simply things go back to the way they were, you know, back to the daily grind, back to the nine to five, you know, don't rock the boat, just sort of get out of the way, do this thing. But she heard stories of Israel's God. Those stories convinced her that God is real. And she said, I, I want to be part of this. She said, God, I want to be part of what you're doing. I, I want to entrust myself to you. I don't want to entrust myself to these people. I believe that you're real, that you are God of heaven above, and that my times are ultimately in your hands. That's the first question. The second question I want to ask you is this, what defines you? Right? Who are you really? You know, it's a, it's a, when we had in-person services, it was more of a, an immediate question because, uh, you know, a lot of us find uh, the five-minute break to be this really awkward time of, you know, if you're here for the first time, you say, I want to go meet someone. Uh, I want to go introduce myself, but what am I going to say about myself? Do I have, you know, a respectable job? Do I have anything that's worthwhile for folks to hear? And by the way, just as a pastor, I want to tell you the answer to that is always yes. I always enjoy getting to know each of you because you're each unique and you each have a unique story uh, in God's kingdom, right? And you don't need to be anything other than who you are. <laughs> Right? And that's, that's what Rahab is saying. That's what God is saying to us in this story, right? As he presents the prostitute who is the heroine. Right? These kinds of things don't happen outside of God's kingdom, by the way. Outside of God's kingdom, if you run for office, you know, your smallest flaw will be uh, put on cable news 24-7 that you'll be identified in that way. Um, you know, you make a mistake and your mistakes will be played 24-7 and they'll override anything else uh, that you may have done or said, right? But in God's kingdom, the prostitute can be the heroine, right? Can be redefined in this way. And I wonder, um, how might God be speaking to you? And I want to just, just as in closing, speak uh, lastly to those of you who feel great shame right now. I just want to mention to those of you who, who your life is not the way you would like it to be. Um, your goals haven't worked out. You have perhaps preferred what you want right now to what you really want. You know, I hope that you'll find resources in this passage. I hope that you'll find resources from God's power to follow him in all the ways that he's calling you to. But as you do that, as you work that out, uh, my bigger desire is actually that you would find in the passage, you would find in the scriptures, that you would find in communion with God, a kind of transforming experience whereby you would no longer be identified uh, in these ways, that you no, no longer be identified with your past, where it would no longer rule you, but your identity 
would come from your faith in God, that your identity would come from being deeply loved by Jesus Christ, right? That is the Christian gospel, that Jesus comes and he absorbs all the wrongs that his church ever did so that we can no longer be called slaves, we can no longer be outcasts, we no longer be far away, we become children of God, that our identity would be children of God. And if you have put your faith in Christ, then wherever you are, whatever, whatever's going on in your life right now, that your identity is not as a screw-up, right? It's not as an overeater. It's not as being unemployed, right? It's not as being divorced. It's not as being, um, having an addiction, it's not as having an anger problem. It's not as um, any of these things, but your identity is that you are deeply loved by Jesus Christ. That his love transforms and changes everything about who you are down to the very depth. And so you can go forward in grace. You can go forward uh, in this way. So what I want to do right now is I want to pray for you. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you uh, for this scripture. I thank you that in your kingdom that our lives can be absolutely and overwhelmingly transformed by your power. Lord, I pray for myself uh, as I've been um, confronting these issues in my own life even recently, and I pray for our congregation and for all who are tuning in. I pray that you would do a powerful work in our lives as we find ourselves confronted uh, with choices. Lord, I pray that our faith would mean something, that it would matter, that it would uh, show itself to be real and powerful. Uh, as we are confronted with difficult choices, I pray that our faith would shine through, that it would, that it would represent a substantial change that's going on. But Lord, more than that, I pray uh, that our very identity uh, would not be in the things that we do would not be in the families that we were raised in, would not be uh, in relationship to the kinds of problems that we've conquered. But I pray that our identity uh, would be that as being your sons and daughters. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.